Welcome to another edition of Rebellion Research's educational series. Today, we are very lucky to have two brilliant quants with us. I've been following these men for a number of years and have learned a ton from both Mr. Denev and Mr. Amin. They are both teachers and practitioners. They have both built systems, risk systems, and their knowledge is extensive. I would respect anything these men had to say, and I'm excited to learn from them. But we have them today to discuss their new book, Book of Alternative Data, came out two weeks ago in the US by Wiley. And it's a book that whether you're the chief risk officer of GEICO or freshman at Columbia Engineering, it's one you should consider purchasing and putting on your shelf. These men have such a vast well of knowledge that you know, we're really lucky to have them today. And I'm, I'm just regretful it's only a 20 minute episode. So thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming on. Thanks thank you much. for inviting us. Oh, uh, the pleasure is mine. So, you know, alternative data has just absolutely blown up the last few years. You know, I look at the numbers and it's unbelievable. You know, point 0.72 went from spending less than a million dollars five years ago to I've heard, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars today. It's a focus that has every business school professor and every young quant, old quant and retired quant. This, this, this is the next, you know, uh, it's really the undiscovered country of quants is attaining alternative data. And one of the reasons many people, you know, have issues with the monopolistic large tech companies that have so much data. But today we're going to learn about the limitations, the potential and where alternative data is going. So first off, I want to ask you guys, where do you see alternative data in five to 10 years? Well, yeah, thank, thank you, Rosanna. I think it's a very, very good question. And alternative data has been around for many years. You know, I can recall as back as 2011, the first results of extracting uh, signals from social media sentiment and correlating the two stocks. I think that, the trend is upward, uh, definitely. And I think what we're seeing with uh, COVID-19, fortunately for alternative data, of course, unfortunately for, for other reasons, is going to, to increase the use of alternative data. For example, uh, our book is centered on, on investment management, so financial community, but we're receiving also a lot of requests from governments. How can we track the expansion of COVID-19, for example? How we can use satellite data, internet data, mobile uh, traffic to track alternative data. So, as in the case of AI and information spread, we think that alternative data is going to be, uh, to see an increased use in the future. And this is an accelerated trend. And this trend has been accelerated by COVID-19. No, definitely makes me think about Professor Marcos Lopez de Prada, who, gained a lot of fame recently for his work using now casting to predict the S&P drop in March. I mean, you can use now casting, which is, uh, you know, uh, applying uh, machine learning, I'm sure you guys know obviously very much, to, you know, real-time data. And that's something actually I'm doing with a few of my students uh, right now. We're, we're looking at using now casting. Have, have you come into, you know, uh, practice with now casting? Is that something that's addressed in the book? Yes. yes. Uh, just before that, I, I think we should give uh, credit to Marcus here because uh, it was his idea to write this book. So it's a very, very nice well, story. 
such a small yeah, one. This is how, how, how the book was originated. I, I, I'm friend with Marcus for many years. I traveled to see him when he was part in AQR, partner there. And that was between jobs. And he said, why don't you write a book on alternative data? There is absolutely nothing there. Why don't you fill the gap? And having in front of me a few months of, you know, uh, of nothing to do between jobs, I took his idea on board and then spoke to Sid, who very enthusiastically accepted uh, to be co-author of the book. And uh, Marcus introduced us to Wiley because he published two excellent books with Wiley. With Wiley. And this is how all, everything started, actually. So we must give credit to Marcus. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a small world. Yeah, no, yeah. My very close friend at Cornell, Professor Irene Aldridge and Marcos, uh, go back. And so that's how I uh, came across Marcos. Thank you, Irene. But I, I love following his work. It's, it's very thought-provoking. It's, it's really, you know, he's really got one of those open brains where he's you know, in no way set in his ways. He loves to learn, and you can see it in his posts. So, you know, he, he's definitely someone I recommend all my students follow. So... Oh, I, yeah, and to answer your question now, yeah, Sid, you might want to take this one, now casting in the, in the new paradigm in gathering information. I was going to say thank you to Marcos as well, because I had never actually thought about writing a book on the topic until Alexander discussed it with me, so that's, I'd like to thank him as well. Thank Alexander and Marcos for it. Um, in terms of now casting, I think it's a very important area. We have, we have some use cases in the book. So one use case we have for now casting is using uh, Twitter as an additional variable for trying to now cast payrolls. Uh, so that's one, one example. Uh, we also have a chapter as well looking at the usage of PMI data as well, in, the, in essence trying to come up with a high, higher frequency uh, proxy for GDP. So I think now casting is very important. Um, in particular, because obviously it's a lot easier to forecast the near term than it is two or three years in the future. Um, and as Alexander was saying, because of COVID, obviously now the ability to be able to have high frequency uh, responses in terms of economic data is very important using all these proxies like traffic, et cetera. So I think, I think now casting is definitely gonna improve over time. Uh, and it's, it's something that people really need to, to look at, uh, just, just like uh, Marcos has been saying. Yeah. No, we, uh, we were actually doing a project at uh, Cornell with, um, inspired by Marcos, as I said, with um, Essential. Um, I'm sure you two have come across Jeremy Back. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, no. yeah. So Jeremy's a good friend of mine, and he founded Bloomberg's Alternative Data Division. And he's another one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn. He's got great ideas, great insight on the world, and... You know, and so we're, we're going to work with the Essential and try to come up with some fantastic now casting research and show people how valuable, you know, Essential's alternative data can be and what you can do with it. I mean, it's really fantastic. I remember back in 06, 07, you know, when mm -hmm. I was working with my partners at Rebellion and we were trying to look up, uh, come up with alternative tra trading strategies, we were playing with Alexa back then. And, you know, we, we'd get trading signals and they come and go after six, we'd have six months to a year without ability to trade but you know nowadays oh, by the way to get access to that alexa data was a whole kit and caboodle in itself i mean when i first started rebellion research in 04 the bloomberg data was so you know, there were so many holes that we actually had to build our own parser and go on to uh you know the sec website ourselves so now the data has gotten so much cleaner but i also quote my good friend claudia perlick 
that you know you spend 90% of your time cleaning data, even at the very top, you know, you know, Claudia is at Two Sigma and is one of the most brilliant minds I've come across in data. But you know, you just have to spend so much of your time cleaning data no matter who or what you are, but you know, it's uh, it, it's a new paradigm now. And that's why I think your book is so perfectly timed. It, it really, you know, couldn't have come out at, at a more, you know, a, poignant and relevant time for the quantitative finance industry. And I, I think it's so important that both students, you know, professors, a, you know, and, you know, the working side, you know, Quonsat, you know, Nomura to Barclays, check this book out. It's, it's, you know, I was leaving through it and I was thinking to myself, you know, who wouldn't benefit uh, from this? And so, you know, I've got to ask, do you guys envision this as a business school textbook? Yeah, we haven't talked about it, but uh, definitely we will be monitoring the market, who buys the book, the, the, the questions we received, uh, the implementations. And this, of course, will drive any uh, future editions or revisions or reformulations uh, of the book. And uh, you, you Alexander, make very good points. So alternative data, it's, it's, it's very important. So, but the question is, is all alternative data important? Is there a signal in all the data sets around us? Of course, the question is, the answer is no, okay? And uh, this is why it's very tricky. So when you want to start, you consider starting using alternative data, you must really be ready and prepare to this journey. It, it's not easy. What I'm saying that sometimes there could be also no signal at all in the data. And we're seeing this with many widespread alternative data sets. You know, signal can dissipate. Signal can be oversold to the market, can be overcrowding the information, so the signal becomes noisy. How to cope up with this dynamic nature of alternative data? This is something uh, to consider. And what is the most important bit here is to have the right process in place. You know, to take the data, download the data, taste the data quick and dirty, create a POC, find a signal or not. And if there is signal, of course, consider the implementation. But that's not the whole story. In the book, we have many practical applications, and we show indeed there is signal in data. We use satellite images, we use text data, we use uh, industrial data. So there is signal. If you're smart and you know how to look, when to look, of course, there is signal in the data. But that, again, that's not the whole story. You can prove there is a signal, but how to implement this signal in production, it's another, it's another very difficult journey. There are technological challenges, as I mentioned before. There are also some cyber challenges, of course, uh, legal challenges. It depends very much where your alternative data set is. If it's in Europe, are you compliant with GDPR, for example? This is a big question. So there are many boxes that need to be ticked in order for you to start using alternative data. And again, this is a dynamic process. Once you discover and implement the signal, the signal can disappear after a certain amount of time, and you must be ready Sid, you might want to complement this. This is one of the main topics of the book. Yeah, like it's it's basically it's not just uh, it's a long it's a basically a process. It's not a case of just getting a data set and seeing if it works. Like you need to go go through the process, selecting the data set, like you say, making sure that it's legally compliant. So you do need to go through a pipeline of, of various tasks before you end up using it. And I would also say another challenge is that potentially you might find that on its own, one specific data set doesn't yield a signal for trading, but it can be a useful data set when you combine it with lots of other signals. So 
the example I gave, say, for payrolls. So there I used kind of the, some of the traditional economic data sets that you typically use for payrolls, but then you augment it with an alternative data set. So I think that's kind of one of the key strengths of alternative data is not necessarily replacing everything, but it's more augmenting it, combining several data sets together. And that's kind of where the, the power is. But I'd echo a lot of the words that Alexander's mentioned. Um, not every alternative data set will yield a signal. You need to do a lot of time and effort to investigate it. So, um, yeah, you, you basically need to have a proper process in place to, to do all of this. It's, it's not a case of having one data science and a massive data scientist and a massive fund, and that's your alternative data offering. It's a lot, it's a lot more uh, challenging than that. You need to have the right team, and that's something that we discuss in the book as well. So there's lots of things you need to consider before you go on that journey. But if you do it right, you can, uh, you can obviously uh, uh, get a good signal out of it. Um, ultimately, these hedge funds are very smart. They're spending this money on this data because it's yielding a signal. They, I can tell you, they're not going to spend a lot of money on data which doesn't yield them a signal. So that in itself is proof that there's there's signal in, in, in this alternative data world. Yes, no, that, that that's a great point. And the fact that these signals do dissipate at time is also a, another great point. And you know, you have to remember that you know when you combine these data sets, it's important to know how you're combining them. Uh, for instance, you know, I know that Alexander loves Bayesian networks. I love Bayesian networks. I think they're a fantastic way to combine data sets. But, you know, for years, the job of a you know, financial quant was to come up with uh, derivatives, financial derivatives. Now I feel like in the future, data derivatives will be, you know, kind of a, a hot topic. And the idea being that, related but unrelated data sets that can play from each other. And especially when fed to a learner, whether it's two data sets or 25 or more, I think that uh, data derivatives definitely going to be a huge uh, subject going forward. And I know at, at Rebellion, the research we found is that every single type of investing will have periods of, you know, underperformance or, you know, there, there'll be no alpha from value investing. There'll be no alpha from global macro investing. There'll be no alpha from tech or momentum. And so, you know, even from the, the most 30,000 foot view, you have to mix up your strategy. So, you know, what specific areas of alternative data excite you two both? You mentioned something very interesting about data derivatives. And of course, the, the, the line the underlying of, of the data derivatives is data in data markets. The data markets are quite a tricky place at the moment. And I think that the, this, I find this uh, topic very fascinating, not only because of how to create platforms where to exchange data, but also how to price the data. What is the right price of a data set? And this is a big question mark and it still has, doesn't have answer by, by the industry. So we try to address in the book different methods to, to approach a problem. So if you're an investor, if you want to buy a data set, what is the price you should be offering to this? And if you're a data vendor, what should be your, your approach? For the time being, data markets are very segmented. Uh, of course, there are the wide list, the widespread uh, data sets uh, that the pricing becomes more commoditized, more standardized, but they're very, uh, very many, many data sets that are unique. There are certain data vendors that have monopoly of certain data sets. So how to price them? 
this, this is a big, big question in the industry. It depends on many factors. So we analyze it, this in the book, and of course, it depends on, on the return, how you perform the back tests. Uh, it, it depends what's your investment horizon. There are many factors on which uh, this depends. But even in this case, even if you have a price that you're willing to pay for, how to agree with the data vendor this price. And if you're a data vendor, and to the point of overcrowding, you have a certain data set. You want to place these data sets in the market, but you want to avoid overcrowding, as it happened with, with certain data vendors. How to restrict the number of licenses and at the same time get the maximum revenue out of these restricted uh, licenses. And we draw some analogies with radio frequency auctioning, when you have, if you can imagine the, the spectrum. You That's want a great to sell yes. Yeah, it has been functioning for, for quite a long time now in, in, in uh, around the world. Governments, they auction radio frequencies not to overcrowd the spectrum and to gain the maximum of it in, in monetary terms and how to create data options where you can place, place the data sets. And of course, there are some legal constraints and so, and so on. We discuss all this in the book, but I think data markets are uh, something that's very fascinating. The theory of data set pricing is something that's very, very fascinating. And I think we'll see a development coming, coming into the future. And of course, we'll be following these developments. Uh, we sort, start also a blog on this. We wrote our first blog on this, but we, we aim to update this, this. And you know, we live in such a high frequency world, so the book, what's written in the book is, is subject to change. But, you know, I, I say people, think of alternative data as a tool for the quants, but they forget that fundamental value investors are still dying to have cutting edge data on their holdings. I think of my, my older brother who runs a, a large hedge fund. He's a value investor, takes large stakes, and you know, looks for, for change over a few years. You know, he wants to know how Michael Kors sales are going Today, he doesn't want to know yesterday. If there's data out there on his you know, position, you know, he wants to know immediately. And so I think your book also you know, will have appeal to fund managers, traditional fund managers, who don't necessarily have much of an interest in quantitative investing. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, so typically, I guess, if you're like a discretionary investor, you're investing in single names. Your, I guess your viewpoint will be slightly different. Like, let's say you trade Apple. You'll want to get every single alternative data set specifically for Apple. Um, so, um, but whilst I guess for a quant, they want to get data sets which go across many, many different companies. So it's just a different viewpoint. Uh, like a fundamental investor kind of goes in more depth on a smaller number of names, whilst your typical quant fund will want to try and have a lot of breadth, essentially, and want the alternative data sets across many different uh, assets. But uh, I definitely agree with you that there's, there's a market for alternative data for fundamental investors. And I think that's probably the, been the big change recently. It's no longer purely a quant fund thing. It's now actually moved on to, to more discretionary investors. And they're, they're definitely interested in this type of space. Yeah, I can add something to this. So. When people speak about alternative data, almost everybody imagines a data set that you really go somewhere, you put your, you know, your subscription, you download against a fee, or you negotiate as a data fit with, with a data vendor. But sometimes alternative data can be human generated. And to your point, uh, Alexander, about value investing. So if you're a discretionary manager and you want to monitor a stock, 
why don't you send scouts to check the factory, the condition of the data, of, of the assets, and report maybe with pictures on the condition of a pipeline in the Middle East, for example. And you could want to take a position according to the value of the service. So we dedicate an entire uh, chapter in the book on scouting service. And we focus on two stocks uh, there. Uh, one of them is a Chinese company, you know, a gaming company. So we were able to create, through the help of another company, a network of, of gamers in China who gave us feedback on the value of the product and how it's going to be perceived at this and any future releases. So we were able to forecast the revenue of this company based on how many people would be willing to spend and how much. So this is not a standard data set, you know, that you download, but you really have to organize this network of scouts and in this case, uh, gamers, but we did this also for, for physical assets and to get the information almost real time on the condition, on the value of a product. Alexander, you, you bring up a, a great point that even outside of the world of investing, you know, alternative data is going to appeal to corporate decision makers at firms as varied from, you know, Wynn casinos to Cargill food products. You know, when they're looking at potential acquisitions and entering certain markets, you know, the, the access to that alternative data will give them such better insight. Well, you know, we've come to the end of our show. This has really just been an awesome time. I, I couldn't be more thankful to have had you two absolutely brilliant minds join me. And I, I really just offer a very humble thanks, Sayyid Amen, Alexander Denev, and your fantastic book, The Book of Alternative Data. I recommend everyone to buy it. And everyone stay safe and well in this crazy time. Thank you. Thank you, Alexander. It was a pleasure.